Hey everyone, welcome to an episode of Breaking the Ceiling. Uh, today's episode is very special because I'm going to talk to somebody who I have never met that kind of a person before. I am very scared about what she can do by just looking at how I write. I'm talking about none other than Aditi Surana, who is India's leading graphologist and high performance coach. Hey Aditi, welcome to Breaking the Ceiling. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So Aditi, I think what you're doing is very, very unique and uh, something that I have heard a lot about, tried to do a little of uh, or learn from reading people's writing, but you've obviously, you're a professional at it. Before jumping into that, tell me your life before you were a high performance coach and a graphologist. I started this work at 14. Oh, wow. And I was a professional by 18. Okay. I don't know my life before that. Okay, so you don't know your life before that. that that's yeah, fantastic. I'm probably struggling with my school life because I'm a dyslexic. Okay. So it was extremely tough for me to go through like the typical school curriculum and all. Hmm. But I think life became easier when I found graphology. So how did you at 14, when kids are still figuring out life and pimples and puberty, how did you like you know get into graphology? I didn't. I was sent to a personality development course. I'm sure my parents were fed up, like, why is she not, like, excelling and all of that. And uh, when I was sent there, there was a teacher who said, how many zeros can you draw in a minute? And we all were given random, you know, we said 50, 100, 200, whatever we thought. She said, I'm going to time you and let's do it. And as we started doing it, she said, either you know yourself, your capacity or not. And she left. And in the break, I was looking at these papers and I'm not even kidding you. I just had that moment where you know, marble moment where slow motion, pattern connection, all of that. And I, I looked at that page and I started telling my friend who was like, I didn't know from this, you know, summer school, hmm. uh, what kind of organization skills she had, uh, whether she was temperamental, whether she liked uh, certain kind of activities. And all of us was shocked and scared. We're like, what's happening here? We had no clue what we were walking into. But that day I analyzed or spoke to so many different people just through those videos. And I knew I wanted to do this. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how it, what would I do with it. But my dad was into filmmaking. He was an art director. Okay. So from childhood, we were asked to always look at scenes and characters and people. And I wanted to become a filmmaker. Wow. So from the dream of becoming a filmmaker to graphology, did you, did, was it a different kind of a transition or? Not really, because dad said, if you want to find characters, look at people. And I just didn't stop looking at them. That is fantastic. And I love how you can actually look at somebody's handwriting and talk about their personality, talk about their leadership traits. So let's, before we jump into that part, and I want to spend a lot of time on that part. How did you get started with this as a career, this as a company? Dramatic story again. When I told my father that I want to take this as a career at, I think, 18 and a half, he said, this can't be a career. You know, like any father would freak out and he did. And he said, no, 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 you can't do it. And I said, no, but I know I want to do this. So he said, you can leave my house right now. Oh, wow. One of those moments. All right. Oh, you did? I did. At 18 and a half? Yes. Oh, that's wow. I became a professional because I didn't know anything about graphology. I jumped in and I figured it out. So technically, I should have taken up a job, you know, safe choice. But I knew being a dyslexic, I couldn't have written emails and couldn't have done like the things people do. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this is what I know and I'm good at it. Let me just jump in and figure it out. So I reached out to a coffee chain who, which had that they that time they had a tagline that said a lot can happen over coffee. Mm -hmm. I said why not graphology? Interesting. The manager like yes, let's do this. And then that was like just the beginning and never turned back. That's pretty cool. So when did you start making this? I mean, 
is this you as a person or do you now have a company so my professional practice as a high performance coach has graphology as a part of it mm-hmm. but my business is india's only mental gym called app that's pretty cool i've heard a lot about it i've been following up a lot on what you're doing there so that so. is like my my venture as something that i'm building last 2 3 years mm-hmm. but like the whole 18 years of experience as a coach comes really handy for me to translate that into finding tools and hacks and methods for people to be mentally fit now you know 18 years that work was about studying people understanding where your shoe hurts what kind of mind blocks you have what kind of behavioral patterns you do so graphology is a beginning but i then became a certified into multiple psychometric tools mm-hmm. assessment tools mm-hmm. so that kept giving me the the base to analyze people even further and get to their crux of the problem and now without graphology we use the mental gym tools which are a lot to do with how anybody can figure their way but i don't think it would have been possible without my journey with graphology and other psychometric so i think everything you do becomes a part of your journey and becomes a part of who you are and will add to that experience add to your expertise so with graphology what all can you do and for the layman who doesn't understand what graphology is let's jump into two part question what is graphology and what all as an expert in it what all can you do using it so uh, what is graphology to study of handwriting analysis so you know we don't write nowadays and we have all these challenges about how uh, we have technology and kids don't write but an adult anybody who is about 18 today has spent at least 10 years writing uh-huh. okay so that is like the main part of uh, a skill that you practice every day almost uh-huh. for 10 more than 10 years of your life now that becomes associated with who you are what kind of personality preferences you have and handwriting so handwriting is just a depiction of your mind it's a snapshot of what is happening what all is happening so what it can talk about is your behavior your leadership choices your decision making and it's very mathematical like i find people are very mathematical they have patterns and once you can start understanding the patterns you can decode them the very moment you decode it you can really find the trajectory of somebody's overall decision making but not future uh-huh. only personality and behavior if i want to make a difference to someone's behavior then i would use coaching skills but to know the assessment exactly is the the fascinating thing but i think even figuring out who they are and just by looking at the writing i think that is very very fascinating do companies use this in the recruitment process not in india not abroad no like i think they used to okay and that's why i quickly moved away from graphology being my core Uh, business mm-hmm. to like coaching being my core business mm-hmm. mainly because of that okay but the college is like the love of my life so it always would be with me whenever of I course. go and however i function of but course. yeah that's not a large part of it so i've also heard of something called graphotherapy is the, i mean from what i understand as a layman is if you can change your writing you can change your personality is that is then does that hold any truth or is that just a is that generally people think about it okay. but if it would have been that simple then we would have just changed writing to create like whatever magical personality it doesn't work like that okay so uh, you know how in workout you have one muscle mm-hmm. but you have muscle groups mm-hmm. so a good trainer would always work on a muscle group mm-hmm. not one muscle mm-hmm. so that your entire that portion is supported and not you just don't have like one bump that will just <laughs> that would be quite funny yeah but that's exactly what people understand about graphotherapy they're like oh this part of my signature must change that part of my handwriting must change 
doesn't work like that. You have to understand the entire behavior group, that one overall personality trait and change multiple things. And I think it's uh, slightly technical, but that was my uh, revolutionary research in rapid therapy. Okay. So when I started working with leaders, when I was I think 20 to 23, I was working with CEOs. And there they said, how do we fix it? And I said, I don't want to follow this trajectory, but I would like to change the entire behavioral area because I was also studying other psychometric tools. And that started creating long lasting behavioral shifts. And that was like the actual like, success that I found because then people never went back to their old behaviors and they couldn't believe that within 20 days, probably three months, they were different in the same trait that they struggled for 30, 40, 50 years. Even 50 years. Wow. I think that's pretty intense. There are a few traits I would like to upgrade. Uh, <laughs> What is one of the biggest challenges you face in your business? When it was graphology, every day telling people what is graphology, how it works, <laughs> why it is not like just focus, focus. And I think after some time I lost focus on myself, I lost patience to do that. So I took a sabbatical at 26 hmm. because I'm like, okay, eight months you ask me how graphology works and I'm just going to blast. <laughs> so uh, that was my struggle. Hmm. But uh, I think the second struggle I faced in 2020 where I realized that people have all these problems but they don't have the right kind of tools oh. and people don't want to accept the mental health concerns. So I moved from health, con health mental health conversation to mental fitness conversation and that shift by itself reduced the stigma and you know all the challenges but before that we were talking about anxiety and people were so ashamed to accept and they would only talk about it in private. So that was the biggest challenge. I think the stigma that we have overall to accept that we are flawed and really move beyond, you know, in spite of being flawed is the, the biggest challenge. So what I've seen is in the last two years, the number of people who are talking about anxiety issues, stress issues, mental wellness issues has increased, right? Uh, the other day I was actually in a meeting with a VC, he's one of the most popular VCs in the country. And he was openly talking in a group of 20 people that, oh, I just came for my therapy session. And I paused and said, you know what, thank you for actually sharing that because he could have just said, because he came five minutes late. So he said, I'm so sorry, you know, I was in therapy session, took longer. I said, you know what, thank you for sharing that because it takes guts. People in India still talk about it in hush-hush way. Now, the funny part is in US, people will recommend their therapist as if you're recommending a doctor, you're recommending yeah. any other person. They're yeah, like, oh, you would go to my, go to my therapist. Yeah. She's really that good at this, you know, he did this for me, he got rid of this xenophobia for me. But that should be, I think, spoken about more so that the stigma associated with it goes away. I, I recently read a study, literally last night, which spoke about five years ago, the category of people with the highest suicide rate in India was farmers. Last year and this year, it's businessmen. It's overtaken 12,000 businessmen committed suicide in the last one year. Right, so now this is because of stress, it's because of, you have nobody to talk to, yeah. right? Uh, and one more thing I've seen is as you grow or as you move up the chain or the ladder, corporate ladder, it does get lonelier because you can't share your problems with everybody. So yeah. having that right set of people to share it with, having that right community to share it with, because you may not openly share with every single person, but you should have some outlet, mm -hmm. right? So I think that mental gym, the mental fitness you're talking about, and I think the community you're creating there, is I think very powerful because you're creating a safe space where people can 
talk about this openly they can work on it they can you know tell me a little bit about this mental gym thing i would love to hear so there are two parts to it like in 2021 i received the highest number of messages where people were considering killing themselves oh wow and you in on social media so you know i always felt like thanks to the cool content making culture and our podcasting that people felt that trust to share that i'm feeling like this and obviously we tried our level best to speak with them but i know five people personally by now oh, wow. change their minds and that when you look back i have never done that like i'm not a therapist mm. i'm a coach so mm. i talk to leaders and i you know work as high performance and all of that so i do not deal with these things every now and then but that was my eye opening moment as i said you know i'm going to do everything in my capacity to to solve this problem so we shifted it and we started talking about mental fitness with to make it fun functional and fashionable so we said we shouldn't sit there and make it like heavy and boring and difficult it's just something that is so you go to the gym for workout you come to mental gym and we are mental workout so we have things like emotional crunches and you know like stress bench presses we just kind of making things so that you do not take these things seriously and you do not wait for the breakdown point before you do something you take action so i like the gym or the equivalent to the fitness in the gym piece where you don't have to wait to become obese to get fit right right so i i love that analogy tell me a little bit more about how the mental gym works so it is a community based a global community that we have people come there with a single mindset that they want to improve one or at least multiple areas in their life and they believe that their mind is not supporting them or they can tweak their minds to make it even more interesting that is the main idea of this whole thing so you know uh, we create games we create sessions we create assignments we give them buddy because as you said people don't have anybody to speak with and when you talk to a stranger in a given format where you have say an audio walk through or you have certain questions to answer or one art piece to analyze then you are very very casual about it okay. and when you debrief the whole thing they are like oh i really do it so those penny drop moments stay with people and the changes are gradual like what i really like about it they are so gradual that people don't even realize that the biggest problem is gone and they are like oh okay yeah right i was not triggered in that meeting oh they said insulting things or they rejected me but i said okay fine let's let's look at it which i think is the biggest success i think that's that's huge and it's the small changes over time that consistency of result like the consistency leads to result like same thing going to the gym you can't go to the gym one day and be like where's my six pack where are my muscles so it's over 6 months one year that you start seeing the outcome but i think many people fail because they do something once or twice and they expect this big change also therapy they do it only when there are problems they do it for 3 months and then they're like okay now i'm feeling better i don't need therapy but actually it's not that it's actually creating the mindset that would make sure that you would not fall back into the same trap correct which i think people fail to get so they look at it as a like a disease which needs to be solved like oh i have a heart problem i'll go to a doctor and that's it i'm done my surgery is done i'll go back to my old habits but if you continue doing those habits okay but it's like a fracture hmm. so here is is here now let me just start running and walking again so now it won't come back is what people believe but let's look at look okay, at the fear aspects or triggers are so small that you don't even realize and they are carried for years together now you get triggered and that one conversation would spill over in every part of your life so this is where you need to start making the changes that be really vigilant of do you think people are that self uh, like do they have the understanding of themselves that oh this is triggering me 
or oh this wound is not hurt because of which I'm bleeding over all these other people who have done nothing to me. Something that happened 10 days ago because a colleague sent something to me, I'm still pissed off about it and I'm taking it out on these other random people who have not met. Like do people have that realization or how do you see this? Okay. In therapy, if you have to get, if I have to get very close to exactly what happened, I have to dig deeper and know that exact moment. But we don't do therapy, right? So we do these interventions where we would play a game and we would talk about a character in the movie Shuli. And we're like, oh. Interesting. So for example, just to give you an analogy here. So we showed some scene from Shuli and we said, okay, good. There are two people and Dhanno actually saved the whole village. But the villagers didn't do anything. They were sitting there and actually creating their trigger, their victim stories throughout. And they were playing holy, they were doing all of that. But there's so many combat techniques that they could have used to solve their own problems. I say, where are you being the villager? Now you're like, oh, yeah. But if I would have said, where are you being the victim? You have your own guards. But you walk through the whole story and you look at the villagers and how they did not act. And now when it is turned to you, it's not as problematic. So I think when you change the context, then the guards kind of go down. Because as soon as you start putting a label on people, they will obviously want to defend themselves. Nobody wants to say, oh, I'm the victim. Nobody wants to maybe sell it. And that is something I learned from graphology. So when I started being, I became a graphologist, people were open to talk to me because they don't know what they're walking into. They didn't come for therapy 18 years ago, right? So they just came and said, okay, tell me more about myself. And I actually did a job of a coach and a therapist uh, without making them uncomfortable. And the same trait, you know, how one business leads to another, that same trait, I'm like, okay, you don't have to have those guards up because we're not talking about anything serious. But we hit the nail every session and then people go back thinking, okay, that made sense. Or then their relationships change and the way they look at their money changes and the way they uh, communicate and the way they listen. Mm. Like my favorite thing is people listen to one another. Because we we talk about listening, but also they just become more involved and they say, oh, what can I learn here? What are you saying that is triggering me so I'll pay more attention? So if people are just able to improve that one little piece, active listening or just listening and not hearing just to answer, but actually hearing to understand, that that changes the way people perceive and how they grow themselves. That can happen, but imagine you're anxious Uh and your mind is coming up with so many things. And now I'm listening, but mm. I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to myself because I'm thinking about that next presentation or that next, you know, trigger and I don't want to see that person. And, I, and of course, you are listening to Yashwin and of course, but my mind is not with me. So if that doesn't stop, then I can't listen to you. So only saying actively listen to the other person, how? So the tools is where we, we create workouts. So it's not one day. Anything that requires conscious and genuine shift requires time. And then you actually walk those smaller steps and then we would not ask people to listen to other people we say hey what part of their eyeball movement told you something and then they're like okay then they're like glory (laughs) (laughs) and then it becomes like the game about what what did you perceive what did you see it wasn't about listening but you listen because you're seeing so i like how you gamified the whole thing which makes it a lot more fun and people don't get as nervous or as conscious so I used to play poker a lot back in the day and uh, more than the actual game, it taught me how to read body language. I heard but it's like the biggest, toughest part of it. It is, but that one little trait that poker taught me has changed the way I operate. It's changed the way how I can read people. Somebody just walks into my cabin and I know what they're going to literally going to say next because their body language has already told me. They're saying something, their body language is reflecting something else. 
but that ability has i think hopefully made me a better leader right uh, an ability to maybe learn something about from somebody's writing do you think that how easy is it for a person to learn that maybe from a from a signature how much can i tell about a person or by seeing a small paragraph how much do you think it's not very difficult see the the traits are like the many but even if you get like the basic say 100 traits mm. it's not very difficult you don't mm. even have to memorize you can keep a book or keep some cards next to you cue cards and you can still do it the tough part is when you talk about somebody's personality they open up mm. and then people don't know what to do with it people accessibility right can in an organization can you approach a leader and more than that when you approach them and you share something with them are they judging you based on that like if you share like oh i had a fight with my husband or a wife or kids or my parents whatever are they judging you based on what you're sharing right and i think a good leader would know how to separate what was shared personally versus what their professional opinion of the person is right also assessment even if you're not judging you need to assess So as a coach, I need to look at if you are like about to jump off the cliff. It's my job to warn you. But till the point you reach there, mm. it's not. It's very important for me to not make you feel com- uncomfortable about your own choices. So that it's such a. I think that part is tough to teach, and I am still figuring my way around it. I do have a program where I teach people how to analyze, mm. but it is a complex game to not judge. So. So when I, I so I've studied a lot of. Uh, CEOs leaders one thing is like i've seen two common traits i think the first trait is grit the ability not to give up and the second one is the ability to focus on one thing and get that one thing done properly how can mental gym help me with either of these or can it help me with one of these both of these hard stop okay so I've met a lot of uh, leaders, a lot of CEOs, and I've studied a lot of them from far. And I've seen that there are two characteristics in most of them that make them successful. I think the first one is grit, the ability not to give up, and the second one is focus. How can mental fitness help me with either one of these or both of these? So my favorite concept on which we have created the second edition of our mental gym is the concept of flow mindset. Hmm? Have you read about it? Yes. There's Mihai Csikszent Mihai, who's a researcher, and he said people when they get into the zone or flow, they perform at their highest level. Now the grit that we are talking about is knowingly or unknowingly people accessing that part of their mind where they are completely like at the most difficult part uh, or difficult challenge, but they are really really calm. Now that part comes from flow, and I in my research found around 20 to flow triggers. 
Oh wow. So mostly people think flow happens once in a lifetime or in that one area. I like music or I like dance or that one area where I can get into mm. a flow state. That's not true. You can get into a flow state with multiple things in a day. You can create it passive and active. But if you can't get access to any active zone, you try passive. Which means someone else is in the state of flow and you stay around it to create, make it you. That is a very interesting concept. So flow is something that I used to understand without even labeling it as flow that okay I used to call it my high performance time or my you know uh, thinking time like where within like half an hour I've done probably eight hours worth of work if I just passively sat versus that half an hour and one of my triggers was actually standing I realized that hey whenever yeah. anytime I've been in the flow state I've always been standing I the next one right no so but that i then i realized that hey if i want to be in flow more often what are the different things that i can use second thing is drinking a lot of water because i have a i think a sensory issue where i need something in my mouth so i'm either eating something or i'm going to drink something i would rather drink rather than eat so in a day i'll go through like three four bottles of water so it's always hand like you know uh, this thing away i'm always standing so now i've tweaked my entire workflow so that i'm always standing there's always water next to me these are like a couple of things there are a couple of more but then I realized I can actually trigger the flow state more often than rather than just waiting for inspiration to strike. Exactly. So, and that's the difference between an amateur and a professional because you don't wait for inspiration. You create an environment where it is easier for you to create inspiration. And I, I, I love that aspect. So when we ask people and you know, I've been working with this idea of triggering flow state with leaders for like at least 10 years now. And I said, okay, let me just try in the mental gym. So we decided one month, every month we have new topics. So for one month, October last year, we said, let's talk about flow. And then we thought other 11 topics. And at the end of the year, we asked people, which was your favorite topic? And they said, that was amazing because they saw something in themselves that they never noticed before. They started doing everyday smaller things with the state of flow. And I think that's the most fascinating part. So. so from whatever little I've learned about uh, triggers, I've realized or flow state. Like for example, now workout, right? I used to struggle doing workouts consistently. Then I realized why am I struggling? I would get up, so getting up wasn't a concern. It was like, oh, my shoes are not there. Oh, my clothes are inside. I have to switch on the light. Other people are sleeping. I had always these little excuses, right? So then I just started making sure that okay, my shoes are kept, my socks are kept, my shoes like my clothes are kept in a place where I can access them without waking everyone else. That was one. But then I realized I'm still not getting, like I, I want to do six days a week, I'm not. Then I realized, okay, hey, listening to podcasts, I love listening to podcasts, right? I only allowed myself to listen to podcasts when I was working out or when I was going for a run. What you're talking about is stacking of habits. Yes. So if I like one thing, I would take another and I would combine it. Yes. But I, I'm not a big believer of that. Okay. Because for me, I feel if you're getting into a state of flow, like for example, cooking, hmm. uh, I would simply spend time just observing every sensory experience so you go intensely deeper instead of distracting with some other intensive experience so when okay. you're listening to a podcast mm. and doing a workout you're like okay this is happening so my mm. brain is involved here mm. and my body is involved here and mm. i'm trying to maximize both i'm like no 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 podcasting you're here you absolutely go deeper and find it if you're a podcast listeners please listen to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> but in generally, I'm saying that that whole idea of like I need to take one thing, and I know like you know James Clear speaks a lot about this stacking and all of that. But 
in my experience flow happens where and also uh, mihai chiksen mihai did this research where the challenge levels are high and they are at the highest point of your skill set hmm. so when you're meeting both these things and you're trying to stretch it further every single day is where you are in and that requires attention focus and intensity all of that coming together and if you're distracted if you're involved in multiple things and it won't happen if for example i do high intensity weight training hmm. so every single set is designed in a manner my, tra- my trainer and i have like this you know we are both very very involved hmm. in designing it so every single set you are pushing yourself to create the new strength found every day and every day's new strength is different some days you are not as strong mm-hmm. but after first set you get a range of that first today's range and then you go a step higher why because that is your state of flow interesting that's an so i work out every day or six times a week i'm going to start observing this so you did touch upon one thing which i found out the hard way so i used to first run while running i don't need to really focus on much so a podcast is to work great i started listening to podcasts in the gym and i did not feel that i'm working out because i'm trying to focus on hearing the thing and so then i switched to music in the gym which works out much better because i'm not really focused on the music it's just playing in the background and i'm actually focused on my form rather than music so i but also we are just imagine we are as a generation being trained to live with distractions uh-huh. we don't know like how to do that one thing fully completely being involved and i think we are damaging our brain's capacity to really go deep with things because when you require that utmost attention it doesn't come like that for 20 hours your brain is trained in being distracted and also we are rewarded for it every notification uh-huh. netflix wants your attention and you know amazon wants it all best of the brains in the world want your attention right now that's the biggest commodity today's attention right uh, i want to talk a little bit about mentorship were there any mentors in your life who helped shape who you are today I feel I'm raised by so many people and I'm saying this because I left home when I was 18 right so then what do you do how do you build so from graphology to to coaching I think I've had best of the mentors and I also traveled around the world to get training from different people but one thing for sure I think mentorship is not only about people who teach you it's also about the authors whose content that you have been learning from like for example Dr Deepak Chopra When I was 18 I read his book Synchro Destiny and that one book I must have read 3 4 times by now and I have met him like at least 8 times by now but throughout you know and his podcast and his work so throughout the journey at random times you keep going back to these authors and their philosophy or the way they live their life actually start playing with you so it's like a parallel journey so I don't think mentorship is only about people who touch your life in person there's a lot to do with all the people and a coach right you learn from these great people and then you pass it on like it's like absolutely so the fun, funny you mentioned that so i actually have eight mentors in my life like physical people i know but there are also two three people that we follow and just before this podcast me and the team were looking at gary v because now we are getting into the whole content creation space we are like why don't we learn from the best right we were actually studying his videos and saying okay what is he doing how is he doing it where is the tension levels going high how is he you know merging this and that how is he taking one piece of content so again not somebody i have met right but inspires and through his work i think he inspires a lot of people right so even when i was reading elon musk's uh, autobiography or the book on not autobiography but a book on elon musk the the, the, the elon musk book 
but the stories are they touch your lives right because you get inspired by them and if you are able to do i think even one new thing or try a new thing i think they've been led good lives and as leaders if you are able to do something where somebody else is inspired by you i think that is what actually leadership is about lead people right yeah, by example yeah, yeah. and, and it, you reminded me of uh, michael jackson's book the moonwalk the only autobiography that he ever wrote and i think it was 24 or 25 that time so only that much portion is covered there but he spoke about his hardships and how he struggled to just be a normal kid he could never be because he was always performing and mm. all of that and that got me thinking about like as a child i always felt so weird like i remember when i was 19 and people started covering newspaper and all of that they called me a prodigy and i didn't know the spelling because i'm dyslexic i'm like what are they talking about like what did they come to know i'm this dumb kid actually who they thinking like has some special powers but eventually when you hear people like that and i was 23 when i read that it just made so much sense so he became the mentor for me without knowing but that life story i think i, I would always remember so i think you're very authentic in that content it's the person you are on screen and off screen kind of matches right which makes it easier so when uh, i was starting the content creation journey i asked one of my mentors uh, she has like 7 million followers and she like is the queen of instagram she was my mentor she <laughs> right so pooja so i asked her about like hey isn't this a lot of pressure on you that you have to create so much content and her answer opened my eyes she says ashwin i don't do something specific for the content right this is who i am and i know i know her offline as well right so she's exactly the same person she has the same level of energy she talks the same way she talks about the same things she's excited about the same things that she's offline on and she's like that authenticity takes away the pressure she's like oh if you have to put on your a face you have to put on makeup you have to be this other person to create content that is stressful that is work I right i actually thought uh, when i started creating content that that might, that should be the case I don't agree with it, but many people I met they said, "No, no, as a coach, people should look at you like this, look at like all of that." Mm -hmm. So we have a friend, Vinay Singh, who is currently the marketing head for Bijou's, mm -hmm. and he was a podcast guest. Eventually, became a dear friend, and he met me for the first time, and he said, "You look normal, yeah." Because <laughs> 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 like, I read your LinkedIn profile, and I thought you would be like this really difficult person, and he took some time to talk to me. Okay, he was talking to a producer, Rashi. And was not even looking at me, and I'm like, "What's up with him?" And he said, "You were normal only when I cried few jokes." And then he said, "Please be this in your content. People want to see this." And that one conversation changed the way. I think last year sometime. Then I said, "Okay, it doesn't matter. Let me just go and like make make myself fully available." So we started doing Bollywood. We started doing English content, and all the things I was uncomfortable doing because I'm like, "What if people think I don't know my job?" And interestingly, people see how how much energy and efforts it takes to make complex ideas simple. So they value your talent even more. But we have all these notions about how we should be perceived. Correct. So, so I think being a good leader or being a high performer is authenticity, right? But many a times people haven't figured out how to be authentic in their own skin. People have these notions or these things that I think the world expects me to be this way. what can we do to kind of break that notion and come out of that shell and just be who you are okay i'm going to say something which might sound uncomfortable but i have to say so many times people under the garb of being authentic start giving excuses to themselves hmm. and being a high performance coach i'm like 
okay, you be authentic, but that doesn't mean I'm like this, I'm going to be like this. No, no, no. You're like this is a starting point of where you can go. And if you don't start building that journey, then you're fooling yourself. So that is not acceptable. So once that is done, you move to the next level and you ask yourself, okay, this is where I am. Because personality is a process. You're never one authentic self. Mm-hmm. You are what you choose to become. Mm-hmm. Right? So you are these multiple avatars, and all of us are. Being a graphologist, I can say your handwriting kept changing, right? Every five years it changed. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's accurate and it also represents your growth and your change. Going up, down, whatever. But it kept changing because you were changing. So when I saw that happening over and over again, I know for sure that personality is not a fixed idea. So your authentic today is not the same thing as your authentic tomorrow. Absolutely. And I was reading up a lot on this and I was actually comparing it to, you know, I was uh, introspecting. What I was at 25, what I was at 30, what I'm at 35 and turning 40 this year. The, the things I expect out of life, the things I expect out of myself, the things I expect out of my team, people around me, all of that is changing because I as a person I'm upgrading or changing or I'm becoming different. What I enjoyed maybe when I was 30 is very, very different than what I enjoy doing now, right? But being able to articulate that in thought and in words is very difficult for many people. But because people define themselves, they're like, but I like this kind of things. I like vacation. So whenever at one point they decide and they keep living that one life without exploring. So going back to flow, when you challenge your skill set every now and then, you discover newer capacities. So I started doing art. My father was an artist and art director. So I, because he was an artist and art director, I said, I'm not going to It was such a tough thing and he was so good at it. Having said that, during the pandemic, we started two social initiatives. And we didn't know what we were walking into. We said, if you have anxiety issues, we'll open four sessions a day and I will talk to you. Let's, you know, get time and say, let's make the most of it. And we started anti-anxiety journaling workshops. Nice. Uh, the day India went into lockdown. And that time Instagram live was new. Nobody knew what to do with it. After six months, everybody was doing live. But that month or that those two months, nobody had any clue. We started this and around 3,000 people showed out of nowhere. And we were like, what's happening? Because people needed that information. So it just blew up. Next year, we did that again because people requested. The number went to 6,000 in that one month. Wow. So we just realized that people are expecting this. And I worked almost 14 hours a day because the initiative went on and on and on. Oh, damn. At the end of it, I was like, okay, I need some time to process what all I have <laughs> I started doing art. That's interesting. And in the last two years, and I'm just saying that, you know, I never expected. My definition of me didn't have artist mm-hmm. as a title. Mm-hmm. But when I started doing it, my teachers and other people said, oh, you're an artist. And I'm like, no, 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 no that <laughs> can't be true. But there was a form that sometimes you just do not realize that it need not be complicated. You touch upon things or you translate one skill into other and you may reach some really good quality of work or high performance level without having to put all the hours, but that is what... The so, I, I, it's very funny that you said art because in the pandemic, as one of my stress relievers, I actually started, so I, I, the, uh, in the pandemic, I got an iPad with the pen and uh, on YouTube, I discovered a tutorial on something and I was like, okay, since I have the pen, okay, let me just try this out one thing and I enjoyed it. And then next one, next one, I like 30, 40 pieces later, like that's something I enjoy, like every Sunday, I'll take out an hour and like paint and draw. I'll write digitally, but that is not who I was. Exactly, like, I'm right? a poker player, I'm a whiskey drinker, I'm a this, I'm a that. Art, like art wasn't, like I was like, ah, that's for other people. But 
allowing that hey that that's not a label i have to be ashamed of or i mean then i realize i mean i love spending time doing that i love spending time doing so many things yeah. which are not a part of the ceo label like as a ceo i supposed to only enjoy these five things I'm right so happy that you say this because during the pandemic so many people discovered the real the other part of their personality which is beyond labels so then authentic is an ever growing idea authentic is never fixed but what is not authentic is when you're putting up a show when you're feeling really uncomfortable about it so you have to know that if i am trying to look something that i'm not that will you will have to pay a price that will fire back so people don't think that they no 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 i will just go with it if you're doing it once twice thrice is okay eventually you will have to pay a very huge price where do you see yourself 5 years from now where do you see mental gym 5 years from now you know i should have an answer to this question <laughs> but i don't after the pandemic because i never thought i would be here 5 okay. years back you would, you would have asked me so i'm doing my coaching and i'm like you know working with these people but with all the experiences i signed up to play my role in making india mentally fit i think that's a very noble goal to have i think it's just the need of the hour i don't think it's like you know the very moment i think it's like noble like then you just you feel oh you're doing something great but i think it's just need of the hour and you have tools you have skills and i i i signed up for it so i don't know what i'm walking into every month the challenge becomes way tougher than i ever imagined it to be but but you do what you got but okay so my last question to you is as you're scaling your business what is one of the biggest challenges that you're facing so one people's awareness about mental fitness so now it is still okay to accept it but people you know as i said only when i have problem i will look at these things it's not an everyday lifestyle choice so that habit formation that awareness is what will take some time and you have to do it by giving examples and also in india people think oh i'll do something you know just like something and figure this they don't have the discipline to look at mental fitness as they look at physical fitness so that awareness that community building i do not know exactly how to do it but every month i get trained by different people to be able to do it like for example linkedin uh, in their content creator program i actually became more equipped to create content and in a manner it is more impactful now other mentors are teaching other things so i think it's about learning but decide so i've been seeing your journey over the last few months and i think uh, it's not i'm i'm seeing maybe more the content side of the journey right but i think the kind of content you are creating now is a lot more uh, engaging it's a lot more insightful it's a lot of fun so it's sharing very interesting insights in human behavior in probably uh, high performance behavior but in a way where it's not looked as a therapy or it's not you know you're learning something new with i mean you're having fun but you're learning something new like the shole analogy that you had i saw the little video on the shole piece which is very insight uh, you know uh, insightful uh, and i also saw something on that dard mard ko dard nahi hota wala that was that was really uh, you know funny but it also brought up a very important concept that needs to be spoken about right? i genuinely believe this i think education or like when learning about these fascinating things should not be boring and dyslexia right so i don't i think we should So I, I have been teaching people like this, and this works. So I never thought, and I just for this whole authenticity bit, I never thought this would click. But when I tried it, experimented with it, it clicked more than any yarn that we have given. And I think you are doing a fantastic job in this space, and I wish you the very best. And 
I think in the next five years, my vision of where you would be is India is not going to be a platform. You're going to be a national level, uh, international personality known not just for graphology, but for uh, high performance coaching. And I think if you're able to, and I think you'll play a very, very large role in removing the stigma around mental fitness. And you will probably play a role from making it from therapy to fitness. If you're able to do that, I think you're done that. That's your biggest, and you're already doing a lot of it, but I would love to see this on an international scale. And I think you're well on your way there. Are you, so, are you gluten free, vegan free? Like no, I, I, I am no free. I'm a, I ghee. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I think aapke mein ghee shakkar has no English equivalent that I can think of. <laughs> it doesn't communicate the same thing, right? So thank you so much for sharing, um, you know, so openly. I really uh, loved having you on the show. And thank you so much for opening up my eyes towards mental fitness. Thank you, thank you so much for having me here. And I think the whole idea of breaking the ceiling, I think we all have to do it. And we got to step up and play our parts, no matter how tough it is. Absolutely. Hey guys, so that was Adi Surana. Check out apptomentalgym.com. It has fantastic content. I think it's going to make you stronger. I think instead of saying I need to go to gym, I think saying I need to go to a mental gym and working out on your mental muscle, which I think is the strongest muscle in your body more than abs and six pack and big arms. I think your strongest muscle is right here. And if you're not working out on that, you may be think of it differently because if you want to be successful in life, I don't think a six pack is going to get you there, but a mentally fit mind will definitely help you get you there, right? So I'm hoping you've learned something from what Aditi shared today. Do apply at least one thing that you learned from her in your life and hope you break more ceilings soon. I'll see you guys in the next one. Mm -hmm.